Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. I'm your moderator, Tom Reed, and I'm joined as always by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, our terrific tandem of Penguins hockey writers. Uh, we got a lot coming up for you on this show, including a visit from TSN analyst Craig Button, who will be talking to us in the third segment. Uh, but first, let's uh, get through last night's game, a 2-1 uh, shootout defeat at the hands of the reeling Philadelphia Flyers, uh, but not all was bad news. Uh, uh, Taylor, you were at the arena. You covered the game. What is your headline coming out of uh, last night's game? I'm, I'm leading with Jeff Carter. I mean, he didn't get a point in that game, but he looked really good. I mean, this was not a Patrick Marlowe situation where, you know, he's old, he's slow, he's slowing down. Um, and they didn't ease him in either. Uh, I mean, second line, he was on the power play, he was on the penalty kill. They put him out there in overtime. Yep. Um, so he has the speed to be – I mean, despite him being, I think, what, 36, he, he, he has the speed to be out there in overtime. Um, but he was he was good. He was taking a lot of shots. Um, his line together was taking a lot of shots. I mean, McCann had seven. Uh, Zucker had three. He had two himself. But, I mean, he was attempting a lot more, too, um, and a couple more chances to score that, you know, just didn't count as a shot on goal. But, yeah, I thought Jeff Carter was really good. Uh, Sidney Crosby uh, with the lone goal. And uh, – I believe in the building, Taylor, it was announced yeah. as John Taglianetti with an assist. Uh, who's John Taglianetti for people that don't know? Yeah, he's the associate head equipment manager. I think he got promoted. He was the assistant for a couple of years. He's associate head equipment manager now. But um, he, uh, the, it started out the Penguins in their own zone. Dumoulin broke a stick. Crosby gave his to Dumoulin. Um, Dumoulin used that stick to start a breakup up the other way. Well, now Crosby doesn't have a, have a stick. And by the time, I mean, it's happening fast. By the time he gets by the Penguins bench, uh, Taglianetti is standing on the bench, leaning over the players with Crosby's own stick. Um, and then uh, Latang, you know, carries the puck to the net. Carter Hart misplays. So Crosby puts it in. And, yeah, like, like you said, in the building, um, Ryan Mill, the PA announcer, announced it as, you know, Crosby assisted by Dum- uh, Latang, Dumoulin, and Taglianetti, which is uh, – uh, I, I thought that was funny, but yeah, no, that's a nice gesture. And uh, Sullivan and, and the players spoke highly of, um, you know, what those guys do, the equipment guys do after the game. Got to always be paying attention on that bench, don't you? You never know what's you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Dave, uh, a point dropped obviously in this skills competition. You, people know my opinion on skills competitions, but it wasn't all bad news uh, last night, was it? Oh no, they. Uh... Pick, you know, despite losing, the Penguins actually gained a point in the standings uh, because the two teams they're chasing, the uh, the Capitals and the Islanders, both lost in regulation. Uh, you know, perhaps the Islanders' loss was, you know, understandable. Uh, cons- you know, they went into Boston 
and the Bruins apparently played a pretty good game, but <clears throat> I don't think anyone anticipated uh, the Sabres going into Washington and, and absolutely having their way with the Capitals, uh, beating them five to two. So, you know, the resurgent uh, Sabres certainly did the Penguins a favor tonight. And we'll get a, a little bit more into that in, in our next segment. But I do want to speak uh, just in general. It's it's kind of that time of year where there's you're not sure what you're getting with some of these teams. And, and, and Philadelphia is a great example. I mean, they have been hemorrhaging goals, not getting goaltending. And tonight they look like a functioning team that still thinks it has uh, some chance to maybe wiggle in there if, if they can get on a hot streak. Taylor, what did you think of the Flyers' performance tonight? Well, and I think a big part of it was Carter Hart, who has been, uh, you know, he struggled throughout the year, to say the least. And then uh, he was on his game tonight. He, of course, wasn't tested very much in the first period. Um, they didn't take, the Penguins didn't get their first shot on goal until it was like 5.20 left in the first. And then they only ended up recording three shots in the first period. So he wasn't tested early on. He was tested later on. And uh, yeah, no, Carter Hart was solid. And that's, uh, kind of as well that you were saying, you never know what version of the Flyers you're going to get. I guess you don't know what version of Carter Hart you're going to get either. But, uh, yeah, the Flyers got uh, Carter Hart at his, at his best tonight. And, Dave, I would think it's a teaching moment. Again, we're going to talk about this in the second segment. Or just a reminder from the coaching staff that, yes, the team's playing pretty well right now, but you can't overlook anybody, uh, especially as teams are jockeying for position, maybe trying to get home ice here down the stretch. Yeah, I, I don't know that they necessarily were looking past the Flyers. I mean, there's a a piece of conventional wisdom in hockey that in the first uh, game back at home after a long road trip, teams tend to struggle. And it certainly looked that way for the Penguins tonight. Um, once they did get going, I thought, you know, Carter Hart uh, took a point away from them. I You know, they certainly generated enough good chances, but you know, for one of the, the few times this season, uh, Carter Hart looked like Carter Hart is supposed to. You know, uh, the goalie who's uh, going to allow the Flyers to assemble a uh, Stanley Cup contender. Uh, and if he would consistently play the way he did against the Penguins uh, last night, you know, uh, the Flyers would not be in the predicament that they are. Right. Dave, I want to stick with you for just a second because I obviously tailor her what what her focus and understandably so is is the arrival of Jeff Carter. What did you see out of number 77 tonight in his Penguins debut? I was somewhat skeptical of what he might bring to this team. And obviously one game is a very small sample size. But I was more impressed uh, with his overall game and certainly with his speed than I expected to be. I mean, he gets around pretty well for a 36-year-old. Uh, whether he can hold up on, you know, under the kind of workload that he'll, he'll, well, we can't say for sure that he'll take on, but that he had in the game Thursday night, you know, I guess remains to be seen. But at this point, I, you know, I, uh, I think he looked like a, a very nice addition for them. Uh, Taylor, sticking on that theme for a second, as far as the, his skating, a couple of years ago, he had, he had a serious, I believe, ankle injury, and there was concern there. 
about you know anytime you're you, you're on the wrong side of 30 and you start to have issues with which it's going to hurt your skating in the way the game is played uh, but he's seemed to just in what I the limited times I've seen him this year uh, he's bounced back he, he he's looks like he's had a pretty good bounce back season what do you anticipate you know maybe just after seeing him once is do you think he'll be a decent fit here yeah, and it, it helps that he can play both center and wings. So as yeah. the Penguins injury situation uh, hopefully improves, uh, you don't know. Um, I mean, he can he can shift a wing, he can shift a center. But, um, I mean, he he was good at uh, the, the face-off circle tonight. He, he's been below 50% uh, in L.A., but he also has been playing mostly wing there, so he hasn't taken a whole lot. Um, but he was at uh, 69% tonight. Uh, I know through the first two periods he had won 7 of 10. Uh, so he was really strong in the face-off circle, too, especially in, in all zones, too, because I, I wrote before the game um, this season – He's been like especially bad at like defensive zone faceoffs. He's only won like twenty five percent of them or whatever. But he was good there too. So um, I mean that was an, an encouraging sign for him. Uh, I mean yeah, he's uh, he's definitely good at to, at center for now, uh, and we'll see if he gets moved to wing. He, he Dave, he's not playing obviously on a top line right now, but one of the at times this team, which has so much talent, sometimes is kind of guilty of overpassing the puck. Can seeing a guy like that, a respected veteran, a two-time Stanley Cup winner, come in here and shoot the puck a lot, which has always been his reputation, can it rub off? Can it be infectious uh, maybe to a group, even maybe to some of the guys who have made their living with, with, with the, the high skill that they have? Um, I, I'm sure that Mike Sullivan hopes that that is contagious. <laughs> But I, I wouldn't necessarily count on it. I, I don't think you're going to see guys make fundamental changes in, you know, in the way they play the game uh, for better or for worse um, just because, uh, you know, they'll be exposed to Jeff Carter's game on a regular basis. Yeah. I got to be careful what I say here because living in Columbus there, Jeff Carter is still not a – a popular figure here, but he, he is a hell of a player. He has been a hell of a player, and we'll see. And it's always part of the game that I like the terrific shot and never been afraid to use it. Uh, that's it for our first segment, but when we come back, we'll have our usual second segment roundtable. We'll bat around some issues. And, again, don't forget we're going to have a, a visit uh, uh, from Craig Button. Almost forgot his first name there. Uh, and, and when we come back on the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. We move into our second segment, a little round table, hot stove type of stuff. And, uh, you know, next up for the Penguins uh, are the Buffalo Sabres. And in any other podcast we would mention, you would say, boy, the pressure is really on the Penguins. Got to win both of these games because they're gimmies. Well, uh, in the last 10 games, the Sabres are 4-3-3. and And they have played some good hockey under Don Granato, uh, the, the interim coach. They're playing faster. Rasmus Dahlin is starting to look more, a little, at least a little bit more, like a number one overall pick. And this is no longer a. These are no, these are going to be games where their teams where the where where the, the Penguins are really going to have to play well. Um, it was interesting to listen to David Quinn the other night talking about how he thinks that that you know. The division may end up getting decided by who does the best against New Jersey and Buffalo because both teams are playing a little bit better. Taylor, you're going to be there in Buffalo this weekend covering for us. Uh, your thoughts on the improvements of the Sabres? Yeah, I mean, ever since they, they snapped that streak, uh, it, they just look like a different team. And it, um, it, it kind of, you know, we talked about last, uh, you know, uh, show like who, who's even on there anymore. I mean, they, they traded – uh, Hall, Lazar, uh, Eichel's not coming back for the year. And, um, it's just a lot of young guys who, um, there's, there's no pressure on them. And it seems like they're just, uh, they're, they're, they're not as miserable anymore. So things are lighter. And, um, that's why they've been doing so well. It reminds me of the 0304 team because the 0304 team, the Penguins team who, uh, s- uh, set that record, the losing streak record, they had a really good run to finish the season. Um, and when I, cause I did just do the, the oral history on those guys. And when they taught, when I asked right. them about, you know, their, their end to the season, um, they, they, that's what they said is, you know, that there was just no pressure towards the end. And then that's when they started turning it around and kind of making things tough for the teams that were fighting for the playoffs. So that might be what we're seeing here with the Sabres. Uh, Dave, uh, you know, one of the, the strange things to, and to counter, uh, as far as those, the, the, the Penguins teams that Taylor wrote about, was this team was expected to be pretty well. And uh, as she mentioned, uh, uh, Taylor Hall is gone, but there is some still decent players here. Sam Reinhardt has actually had a pretty decent season. Victor Olsen. Uh, there's some other, there's some other talent on this team. Uh, the, the Penguins can't go in there counting on four points, right? Oh, that's absolutely the case, especially when you consider the Penguins are uh, relying on a somewhat diluted lineup of their own because because of all the injuries. And, you know, this 
as you suggested, Buffalo was certainly expected to have a better season than it has, but the Sabres have been down for a while and thus they've had some high draft choices. You know, they brought some good prospects uh, and young players into, uh, into their organization. And while the best of them, uh, Jack Eichel, uh, won't be playing this weekend, uh, there is some talent there. Uh, you know, I certainly uh, like the lineup that the Penguins will take into these games better than the one that Buffalo will have. But that, you know, that 4-3-3 run that the Sabres were on going into their game at Washington Thursday night isn't a fluke. Uh, you know, of uh, the, the six combined losses there, five of them were by one goal. Uh, this is a team that's become quite competitive, and any opponent that doesn't take that uh, seriously is uh, is asking for trouble. Uh, the one thing, though, uh, and again, and this is obviously there's no one player is has been the, the root cause of uh, of the Sabers not playing well or playing well below standards this year. Obviously, Jack Eichel's the one we all think about, and he's not going to be available. Another player who won't be available. And this is a blow and something that you would hope that the Penguins could capitalize on. Linus Olmark, they're a pretty good goalie uh, when he's healthy, but he's not been healthy uh, enough for them this year. Uh, he got hurt uh, the other night uh, very early, a couple minutes into the game, like five minutes into the game against Boston. Uh, so we'll see who ends up being the goalkeepers uh, over the weekend. You would have to think Dustin Tokarski at least gets one of those games. Uh, but it's uh, again, they, it's been a strange year. But they, no question, as 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 both Taylor and Dave mentioned, uh, they are playing a lot better. Dave, let's move on here. Uh, you wrote an interesting piece, uh, a contribution to our Friday Insider, and I hope fans always uh, read the Friday Insider. Uh, so much good information on the Pirates, Steelers, and the Penguins. Uh, and, and the lead item uh, this week is that the Penguins will not be signing a college free agent uh, this spring after getting at least one in eight of the past 10 years. Uh, I, I'm going to have you explain that in a second. Uh, but I just want to give give fans who are saying, well, what, I don't really understand what this big deal of. You can draft guys. Well, here's some of the players in recent years that, that the Penguins fans should at least be familiar with. Drew O'Connor is one out of Dartmouth. Casey DeSmith uh, kind of signed more by Wheeling, but we'll get into that in a second. New Hampshire, Zach Aston-Reese, uh, Northeastern, and Connor Sherry, who won a couple of cups, was signed out of UMass. Dave, what's the what's what's going on here, and why why did they not, why, why weren't they able to come to terms with any? Uh, well, uh, Ron Hextall says that they certainly tried uh you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. I mean, there are some people who believe that this was a bit of a down year for uh, undrafted free agents in college. Uh, so there might not have been quite as many uh, quality prospects a, as in a, a normal year. Uh, but one, one thing that's worth keeping in mind is that the Penguins couldn't have uh, gone wild in the uh, – in the, this free agent market, even if they had been so inclined because they already have 49 players under contract and league rules only allow you to have 50. So, you know, they, uh, they couldn't have done a whole lot, but 
as uh, you mentioned, you know, this is an important way for teams to replenish their uh, their supply of prospects when they don't have a lot of early round draft choices, which has been the case for the Penguins for over a decade now. You know, they've they've been in win now mode for a long time, right? And that often has uh, involved trading first and second round draft choices. So if you, if you can get a decent prospect who, who doesn't cost you a draft choice, you know, that's, that's certainly a plus and something worth pursuing. I know, I know the Rangers uh, uh, have, have tried with some success. And again, these guys, a lot of these guys don't always hit. I think Chicago has done the same thing. trying to sign guys when you're, when you don't have draft picks. Uh, Taylor, what do you see in, in these? What, what is the, it, it, what is the success rate, uh, if you can call it that, on on, on signing these guys from college? I, I would think it would be rather rather low. Is that they, they actually work out, or in, in, enlighten us on that? Um, I mean, looking at the Penguins specifically, the Penguins have had some pretty good luck with with those guys. Some of them haven't been hits. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Jake Lucchini, they traded uh, Maniscalco, kind of having a rough start to this season. But I mean, like Adam Johnson played. Uh, for them for a bit. Carter Rowney came up, uh, Connor Sherry, like you said, um, Jason Megna and Brian Gibbons were up in, in Pittsburgh for a bit. Um, so the ones the Penguins have signed have, have done, you know, relatively well um, around the league, I can't say, but uh, the Penguins have definitely had some good, good luck with that. Um, they've been able to get some of the top guys. I, but like Dave said, going into this year, because people ask me, you know, um, like in live queues, like, you know, are they going to be in on any top, you know, college free agents? But I mean, going into the, the, the deadline, they were at 48 of 50 contracts that really didn't give them a whole lot of flexibility. You don't want to be at, you know, 49 heading into the, to the deadline. And then they added one in Carter. So, um, the time when a lot of those guys became available when their college seasons ended and were signing, the Penguins just weren't able to, to be in on them. So, um, they wouldn't have been able to get on any of the top guys. So they would have been going after kind of the, the leftovers. Yeah. And one, one thing that, that Hextall mentioned is that philosophically he likes the idea of going after college free agents and, you know, has, that's been part of his management approach, uh, whether in Philadelphia or in uh, Los Angeles when he was assistant GM, but that he doesn't believe in the idea of carpet bombing is how he expressed it, and that you pursue just, you know, 20 college kids. Um, he said he, he's much more comfortable picking one or two or three, you know, really promising prospects and, you know, doing what you can to sign one of those rather, basically going for quality over quantity. And right. they... And they, they can go after kind of the ones that aren't as much of a sure thing and sign them to minor league deals, which they have done in the past too, and that's what they did um, this year. Like they did sign goalie Tommy Napier out of um, Ohio State um, to a, a three-year AHL deal, which is really weird because most AHL deals are only ever one year. I've never – I can't remember the last time I've seen Wilkes-Barre sign anyone to a multi-year deal, let alone three years. 
Um, and uh, I mean, I talked to Kyoto about about Napier, and he said, you know, he makes a really good first save. He covers a lot of the net. He, he's big. He's six foot three. Uh, I think two twenty. Um, he said he reads the play really well. So, um, you know, they they did sign the goalie to an, uh, an AHL minor league contract that they like. I mean, they locked him up for for three years. But uh, again, like that doesn't count towards the fifty contract limit. So it's a really low risk uh, signing. Yeah, and right. I think the the only downside to that is if I believe that if another NHL team decides they like him and would want to sign him, they would be able to swoop in and put him on an NHL contract. And, you know, uh, him being under contract to Wilkes-Barre wouldn't mean anything uh, as far as the, the Penguins were concerned. Yeah, I, well, that, that's really rare. That's really rare because yeah. like, the Penguins have had like guys lighting it up on AHL deals before. Um, who you know were deserving of NHL deals, and that's kind of like you're allowed to do that. But I think it just, um, it just, <laughs> I think it's kind of like a bad look. You you, you kind of hurt your relationship with another GM. It's just like Ryan Haggerty a few years ago when he was like their leading scorer on an NHL contract, and uh, no, no one touched. He might have gotten offers, but uh, he didn't get one until the Penguins. He didn't sign one until the Penguins signed him to one. Now, Dave, uh, one more point on this, and we'll move on. But this is this doesn't necessarily mean these guys weren't drafted at some point, right? They can be they can be drafted and decide I'm not going with 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 that team. I'm going to stay in college another year, and then I can become a college free agent. Correct. So we're talking about all that that these players are all in that type of pool. I believe that uh, at least as far as the the Penguins were concerned, everybody they've signed as a free agent out of college. Uh, was undrafted. Uh, okay, you know it's possible there was an exception to the rule there, but there there have been the, the list the list that you have in insiders the undrafted guys, but they have um, Thomas DePauli comes to mind. Thomas DePauli was a Capitals draft pick and then just didn't sign with them. Um, so they, they have they have picked up other teams leftovers uh, who either you know elected not to sign with them or, or didn't sign, but uh, they the significant ones really are, have gone undrafted. Right. It, it's uh, well, again, you, you start to think of guys like Kevin Hayes with Philadelphia, right? He was one of those guys, I think that was drafted by the Blackhawks and never came to terms with them. And then he ends up going that route. Uh, I think Jimmy Vesey, Tori Krug is, 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 is certainly one of those guys that I think is more of what we're talking about. And kind of a smaller player ended up, and it continues to have a good career. So that's interesting. They, they added another one of those guys um, going into this season, like someone who was drafted, um, but then just didn't sign. Kevin Stevenson. Kevin Stevenson was signed to an AHL contract with Wilkes-Barre going into this season. Um, he was drafted by Carolina. And it uh, it sounds like he chose not to sign with Carolina. Like he waited it out. It wasn't that, you know, Carolina passed over him. He, he chose not to sign and then, We'll they swooped in and signed him to a minor league contract. So, um, yeah, th th there's a couple of guys, those guys floating around, like well, well, maybe not on NHL deals, but. Well, you know who else? I mean, I, I, I hate that we're drifting too far off topic because this wasn't what Dave was talking about. But John Marino, right? John Marino is an example of uh, of that because he was drafted by Edmonton. Oh, no, he was traded, correct? He, he was, was actually traded. He was, right, but Edmonton traded him because he wasn't going to sign there. Going to sign, yeah. 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 Interesting. In interesting stuff. And while we're on that subject, uh, Taylor, you wrote a piece in the talking points about what, uh, 
what are the penguin what are the penguins prospects is kind of uh you know kind of playing well and having a good season uh give us a give us a little uh for people that did not read it uh who's been like the biggest surprise uh so far uh this yeah. year i guess that's more of the to the point of what the, this the column was what who's been the biggest surprise in in the prospect pool yeah, I mean, you want to talk about undrafted free agents. Um, Felix Robert, who they signed out of um, uh, Sherbrooke Phoenix in the QMJHL heading into the season. He's on an AHL contract. Um, it's another kind of low-resigning. Um, I, I had him as my biggest surprise just because my expectations heading into the season were um, – you know, so low for him. Not he had or he had a really good last season in juniors. He had uh, thirty six goals, fifty six assists, and forty six games. I mean, that's a lot. But you looked; he was playing alongside, you know, Samuel Poulin, uh, the Penguins' first round pick, and um, he's kind of small. He's uh, I think five foot eight, five foot nine. So I was like, well, you know, how much of his production was a result of like Poulin? Like, can his size really? translate to the professional game I think he was committed to play for like a Canadian university team before the Penguins signed him which uh I mean Canadian university not really that strong of hockey but uh I mean he's been the biggest surprise so far I think right now he's um fourth in scoring but um just beyond that um his his like physical play for a guy as small as he is is just so surprising like no one remember to tell him that he's small um and like he he's he's short but he's he's muscular like he's built well and he he throws heavy hits and um I mean you can look at like the the gifs I put on on the site too and that and that story but I mean he's fast he has a really good shot um and the thing that uh JD Forrest the head coach he is always talking about him is that he just never quits on a play um he calls him a water bug uh you know he said it might uh take him you know, like he might have to try to steal a puck once or twice because he's a little bit smaller, but, uh, you know, he'll get it. But he said he's fearless. He doesn't stop working. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just I, there's examples of that, you know, leading to goals, too. And he's just a uh, good playmaker. But, uh, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, if I think uh, if they're going to any of these guys on AHL contracts, if anyone could earn an, a, an NHL deal, I think it should be Felix Robert. He's just been so good. All right. Last thing before we, we move on here, just again, sticking with the whole prospects, Dave, we saw a lot of P.O. Joseph early in the season and, and I, there was a lot to like. What's going on there? Is he, is she's, he, because when the, when they did have obviously the lineup, a lot of the defensemen came back, but where did we, in your talks with Hextall and Burke, uh, either one of you guys can address this. Are, are they happy with what he's doing right now? Because we, we haven't seen him, Obviously, in 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 uh, Pittsburgh, uh, where where is he right now in in the thoughts of the organization? I don't think he's you know first and foremost in in their thoughts. They're they're pretty well stocked at left defense, especially since they didn't trade any of those guys at the deadline. Um, I think they're very happy with what they saw from him early in his time in the NHL and feel reasonably confident that if circumstances would force them to use him during the stretch drive or playoffs, you know, that he would acquit himself well. But I also think they're trying to guard against, you know, force feeding the league to him. Defensemen take a long time to develop in in most cases and rarely suffer from uh, being in the minor leagues. So, you know, I think he's a a very... uh, 
bright light for the future, but not somebody that they're necessarily going to count on in the near term. Okay. I've, I've Go seen ahead. Jump like, in there, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, because I have, I've been watch, I've seen every game Pio's played Mokstery since he's been sent down. Um, I he he just he's been contributing offensively down there, which is nice. But um, what's stood out to me is his strength. Um, I mean, in his shot, but then also his uh, his hits. Like he's laying a lot of heavy hits, which is not really something that we've seen from him. Um, you know, like last season in the AHL, or really even this season at the NHL level. And I asked um, uh, Forrest if that's something that you know they're talking about him with. Like, do they want to see like more physical play from him? And he said they haven't had that conversation with him, but. He thinks um, maybe the reason that it's more notice, it's just more noticeable now, is that he has gotten a lot stronger, um, so he's able to finish those hits more. Um, so it's not necessarily that they're trying to get him to play more physical, but uh, he he just continued to play as physical as he has been before. But um, he's just able to finish a lot of those hits because he's gotten so much stronger, and then it's paying off in his shot too. Like I said, um, he has a really heavy shot now. It seems like more so than last year at this level. So um, he is improving down there, um, yeah. playing top top minutes, quarterbacking, top power plays. So um, he's in a he's in a good situation. All right, good stuff here. We'll wrap up this segment. We'll be back uh, with TSN analyst Craig Button. So please stay with us on the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. We are delighted to be joined by Craig Button, analyst for TSN, a former uh, Calgary Flames general manager, also uh, has some ties to the Pittsburgh area. His father, if the longtime fans will remember, Jack, was the GM here, also worked in the front office for several years. Craig, you must have uh, spent a little bit of time here, a few years of your early life in Pittsburgh. Yeah, seven years, 1968 to 1975. There was a picture uh, this year, a team picture, after Ron Hextall had been named uh, the new GM of the Penguins. And there was a picture of Jim Rutherford on the outside. He was the goaltender. There was Brian Hextall, Ron's father, sitting right next to uh, uh, Jim. And then right behind him was my father. So it was kind of it was kind of interesting. I was saying to Kenny Albert, who was doing the broadcast that uh, day for NBC, I said, uh, "Oh, that's a neat little picture." And Kenny had worked in Baltimore uh, with the Skipjacks when my father was with the Washington Capitals. So there was a lot of neat connections there. You know, I played in our minor hockey and our amateur hockey in the Pittsburgh area over at Ross Traver Arena. I mean, it, Ron Hextall, his brother Rod. Davey Morrison, who's the director of player personnel for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs now, Lowell and Lane McDonald. We were all playing. We were all playing in the, in the amateur hockey circles in Pittsburgh back in those days. And look at where we are today. There you, you wouldn't go. have to drive that far to uh, to get to a <laughs> rink in Pittsburgh these days, Craig. You know, Dave, you know what I remember? It's certain things you never forget. I remember like the rink being like one of those cold brick arenas where the permafrost was actually perma. 
It was there <laughs> 12 months a year. And when our team moved down to Dallas from Minnesota in 1993, there was only one ice rink arena in Dallas at that time for practice. And that's where we went. And I walked into it. And it, it was like, oh, my God, I'm right in Ross Traver Arena again. It was exactly <laughs> the same type of setup, the same refrigeration. And yes, the same permafrost. <laughs> uh, fans who uh, fans who get a chance to watch TSN uh, probably have noticed Craig a little looking a little <laughs> different. Craig, it looks like you did. You go a few rounds with Tommy Wilson, or how did you get that uh, those stitches under your eye and in your eyebrow? <laughs> well, you know what? We're on the pickleball court, and uh, you know, playing a little bit, and I stumbled and fell, and my sunglasses is what cut me. And, uh, you know, the doctor was really funny. She, she made a couple of cracks. She always thought that her first pickleball encounter, the first pickleball injury encounter would be a sprained ankle, not stitches. But uh, it all worked out well. But, but my story, and I'm sticking to it, is, is that pickleball now reveals toughness and character. There you go. That's outstanding. Uh, hey, uh, trade deadline just passed, and, and the Penguins – uh, you know, at, at a time we weren't, weren't sure what the Penguins might do if they would uh, uh, kind of put their toe in the water or jump in, and they they for certainly got a, a big name, a little bit of an older player in 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 Jeff Carter. I want to get your thoughts on 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 that move and how he might impact that lineup going toward the playoffs. Well, a healthy – I think Jeff played really well for the L.A. Kings this season. I think a, a big reason for their success this year was because of the play of Jeff Carter and Jonathan Quick and Dustin Brown and Drew Doughty, Kopitar, those players that had really been – you know, key pieces to their Stanley Cup uh, success. And, you know, when you're integrating a lot of young players and, and you get the benefit of those uh, experienced players playing at that level, it, it's really, really significant. You know, Jeff is not going to be asked to come in and, and assume a frontline uh, role, but his ability to score, he, he's poised, he's calm, uh, he can play on the power play, he's, he's exceptionally gifted in being able to play with good players and take advantage of what good players can provide him. Uh, like I think it's just a, it's one of those moves that just really can pay big dividends because it just takes a little bit of the pressure off of some of your other offensive players. And you, know, you also have to put a focus on Jeff as well because you, you when, when you're an opponent, you, you can't just leave him alone. He, he, he's got fast hands. He knows how to get open, and he can still shoot that puck very accurately. So, uh, I, and, and we all know what his experience is and his success of winning. And I think that, uh, you know, you put him in a lineup uh, where he's going to be asked to do exactly what he's capable of doing will really benefit the Penguins. Craig, looking around the, the rest of the East Division, which teams do you think helped themselves the most with the, uh, the moves they made at the trade deadline? Yeah, you, you know, I really, I mean, I think the Islanders, I mean, they're a good team. I think we all know they're a good team. But, you know, the loss of Anders Lee and then Lou Lamarillo, you know, reinforces the team with uh, Palmieri and Z Zajac. And, and they fit into what uh, uh, Barry Trotz wants to do with his team. So I think they became stronger. We, we know what they've done the last couple of seasons. So there's no reason to underestimate them. Uh, the Boston Bruins with Taylor Hall, they, they've struggled to score. 
at stretch for stretches this year. I think with David Krejci playing in the middle with Hall, it can really allow Taylor Hall uh, to to maximize his impact, and 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 by extension, that that'll help the Boston Bruins. Uh, you know, when I looked at, I, I know there was a lot of fanfare made about the uh, Washington Capitals getting Anthony Mantha, and and and, and he's a good goal scorer. I, I don't think he's a better goal scorer than Jakob Verana. And uh, I understand what Brian McClellan was doing with respect to trying to change maybe the look of, of his forward group. But, you know, that's a pretty big price he paid. And I, I don't think they improve their team to a point where they become a real threat. And when I see the Penguins improve in the, in, in the areas that they did, I see the Islanders improve and, and even the Boston Bruins I know the Washington Capitals sit atop the the division, and I think they're a good team. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think I think they needed to find uh, another defenseman or another goaltender, a little experience, and they tried that with Henrik Lundqvist, and obviously his health issues prevented him from that. But I see I see Pittsburgh, Boston, and the Islanders, you know, strengthening their team here. Washington changed the look of their team. I don't think they're stronger. Looking around um, the entire league, who do you think some of the biggest winners were with the with the moves they made at the deadline? Yeah, well, you know, you look at it, uh, uh, and for me, I, I see a team. I see the teams that you know were legitimate contenders. You know, Tampa Bay, Chuck Mark, they go and get David Savard. Colorado, they needed a goaltender. They go and get a goaltender. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they go and they add to, to their group. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights made a big splash last year getting Petrangelo, and he's a good player. I The Yanmark uh, acquisition reminds me a lot of Eric Howla. And Eric Howla was a good player for them when they went to the Stanley Cup final a few years ago. And I think last year what he did for the Dallas Stars, you know, can you know, en route to the Stanley Cup final can really help them. So when I look across the board and I see teams that, that I see as legitimate Stanley Cup contenders, I see strengthening of those rosters. And, you know, that's the Penguins, that's the New York Islanders, that's the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Vegas and the Colorado Avalanche, and, and I think everybody else just kind of comes a little bit behind them because, as I mentioned about with the Washington Capitals, I, I, I think they're a good team. I don't think they became stronger at the deadline. Craig, what, uh, yeah, what, do you see the champion this year being determined by factors other than than what uh, you know normally go into into making a champion, just because it's been such an unusual year, or will this just be, you know, a, a playoffs like any other? Yeah, I don't think I don't. I really don't believe it'll be a playoffs like any other. I, I I think one of the interesting things is is even when we look back to the return to play last year, you know, the long layoff, and you know, the players, you know, in the bubble got ramped up and then once they they started to play you know the skill and the competitive spirit of, of the individuals and the teams you know came out i th i think one of the things that's really interesting this year is that you've played the same teams in your division. You've, you've played back-to-backs. And in some cases, you've played more than that. You've played the same team more than just back-to-back. -back. So that familiarity of knowing what your opponent is, you know, I, there's not as much of a surprise factor. There's not as much of a, okay, how does this team look? You know, we, last time we played them was in February. So, you know, and even heading into the trade deadline, I really felt, 
that teams to say that you know they weren't certain what they needed to do. If you couldn't be certain playing the same teams, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, regularly throughout the regular season, you're never going to be sure. So, and and all you, I shouldn't say all you need to do. That's that's diminishing it. But when you can look and say, this is exactly our competition. These are the teams we're going to have to beat to get out of our division to be in the conference finals and be one of the last four teams standing. That 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 gives a general manager and, a, and, and an executive group an opportunity to clearly identify, uh, you know, what the challenges are, what the strengths of their team are, and then how to make themselves a little bit stronger. So I think there can be uh, some benefits there uh, with respect to, to to the way it is. But as we've seen for the last 13, 13 and a half months. There's nothing that's uh, that's normal or familiar, <laughs> and even and even if we go back to last year and the return to play, that was th- that's very different to what we're going to see this year, uh, with respect to teams playing in their own buildings for the most part through the divisions. And in, in that vein, Craig, it seems like one aspect of the game that might have been affected even more than most of the others is scouting. Uh, you know, with junior leagues playing limited schedules and, you know, scouts being barred from some some buildings. What what are the challenges of, of evaluating prospects this year? And uh, might this be even more of a crapshoot than, than usual for teams in the draft? Well, I would answer the second question first. Y- yes, it will be. And, you know, what, what NHL scouts and teams are looking to do is, is – gain as much confidence uh, in the players they're looking to select as possible. Now, when you go a long stretch, and, and, and it goes all the way back to last March, where you know players have played, players have played intermittently, some players have not played at all. So, you know, trying to trying to gauge improvement, progression over 13 months uh, with that type of uh challenge and and it's the same for every team it's it's not like one team has to deal with it and other teams don't everybody's dealing with exactly the same thing it it does affect your confidence level with respect to having the opportunity to assess those players so you know we know there's no guarantees in the draft and so uh, at the same time, we know that those uh, without the benefit of watching those players for a period of time and really you know dialing into it, it, it's going to make uh, it's going to make this, this the certainty of what you're doing less so, and 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 that's just a byproduct of uh, of, of the situation. Craig, excellent stuff. Uh, we we thank you so much uh, for being part of our show today. Uh, really good insight, especially it's uh, kind of looking at, at some of these trade deadline moves, and I and I we 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 talked about this last week. We we kind of agree with you. A little bit on Washington and kind of kind of the the moves they made, but we'll have every we'll have time to sort this out as the as, the, as we head into the final stretch. Uh, again, uh, Craig Button, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, for Taylor Haas and for Dave Molinari, this is Tom Reed. We'll see you next week on the sixty six to eighty seven podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio.